episode 218 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Thursday, 4th of July, 2019. Happy Independence Day. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Colton Reed, and today's show is a precursor to a longer one I'll do in a day or two, featuring a bunch of interviews from Crank Tank's Impact Media Summit in Sun Valley, Idaho. It's a precursor because I think this one is a good standalone show. For a start, it's longer than the other interviews from Impact Media Summit, and it's a chat in the sunshine with Brent Whittington, the former Chief Operating Officer at Windstream Holdings, a $6 billion Fortune 500 telecommunications company, who left the corporate world to travel the real world with his family, and then, during a factory tour of a certain bicycle company, ended up buying the company. Why? Because Brent is passionate about cycling. But as he told me, he didn't buy Moots of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, as a vanity project. The longtime maker of titanium-framed bikes has to make money. Brent bought the company in 2015, and this recording was made a couple of weeks ago in Ketchum, Idaho. Tell me about Steamboat. Did you just say you moved there recently, or? Just moved to Steamboat um, after From... really being a, a native Arkansan my entire life. Little Rock, Arkansas was my hometown up until just a couple of weeks ago. Which is Bill Clinton. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> that's that's how I know that. Yeah, that's how most people outside the states know yeah. Arkansas. Yeah. And why did he move? Well, so I spent most of my career working professionally in Arkansas. Um, first in the accounting in, um, profession uh, for Arthur Anderson, and then secondly in telecom, where I spent the bulk of my career. I left that um, really almost five years ago now um, and kind of started a quest as to what next. Uh, long story short, um, I was looking to buy a business, become an entrepreneur. Um, my travels took me to uh, Steamboat Springs uh, for the mountain biking. They had been marketing themselves heavily as Bike Town USA and it you know, drew my attention and um, went up there with my family for a trip. Uh, to ride mountain bike trails and um, ultimately found myself at Moots um, with a passion for handmade bikes um, and with my kids in tow. Um, wanted to go show them how bikes are made um, and I loved, you know, again, handmade bikes and so um, anyway, took the tour, um, found, just fell in love with the business and I was at a time in my life where I was looking to buy a business and so just reflecting on that tour a few days thereafter, I was like, why in the world am I not finding a business like this? And um, long story short, um, I cold called them, introduced myself, um, told them why I thought I could be, you know, a good owner of that business, and I'd like to talk to them about that possibility, and that started a conversation um, that led to, you know, kind of where I am now. And then four years after buying the business, um, at a time in life with a daughter just having graduated high school, um, where I can move there full time. And so that's, that's a long story as to how I got the steamboat, but that's why. 
So this is the, like the Remington shaver, you know, you like the, <laughs> you love the product so much you bought the company. It's, it's the same kind of thing, yeah? Exact kind of thing. I mean, and I think, you know, um, even different than that, I mean, in that, you know, I was in a very, very different world. I mean, I was in um, a telecom business where I was a CFO and a COO for a Fortune 500 public company. And so worked, you know, on a team, had team working for me in the thousands. And so then to jump from that to an entrepreneurial role in a very small company um, is quite a different change. Um, but one that's been the most rewarding in my entire life. I mean, I've never done anything I'm happier or more proud about. And it's, it's because of a couple of things. I mean, it's because, number one, I mean, the team at Moots, what they make, and their passion behind what they make and the craftsmanship, it's a really special product. And um, coming from telecom where you struggle to provide service that's respectable, I mean, who loves their telecom provider? Um, I dealt with all kinds of painful, painful customer service issues to um, today where we're delivering products that bring such passion and joy into our customers' lives. I get emails and photos from all over the world. It's just inspiring. Um, so that's a big part of it. And then secondly, I've been a lifelong fan of cycling. So to, You look um, like a, a cyclist. Now, <laughs> we were riding with you yesterday and you went off and it's like, okay. Yeah. I love to ride. And, and the neat thing is, you know, rides like we were doing yesterday, I would do that whether I were in the business or not. It's just what I enjoy and always have since I was a kid. And, um, you know, and so the chance to do something personally and professionally that's rewarding and right in line with, um, you know, such a sweet spot for me is pretty special. So the, 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 the cliche is like cycling is the new golf. And so with like <laughs> the, the corporate people would you know, go out on their road bikes instead yeah. of going on the, on the golf course. That, that world you were living in, that, that was cycling was a, a respectable thing to do for a, a, a corporate guy? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question there, you know, in my early part of my career, golf outings were common. I can't even remember the last time someone asked me to go play golf. Now, part of that is probably the network in which I hang with today, which are cyclists. Um, but I think it's less common. I mean, you know, no one feels comfortable going out for four hours on a golf course um, when you can go get a bike ride in. It's a workout. Maybe it's an hour. Um, even if it's not a fast-paced ride, it's just a chill ride to chat with people. I think people are more comfortable doing that today. So, absolutely, I never felt left out because I didn't golf. I hadn't picked up a set of golf clubs in 10 years, probably. <laughs> so, what have you brought to what, in effect, is a, a cottage industry, well, even a cottage company within a cottage industry, Yeah. what are you bringing from the corporate world into that? Or are you hands-off and you say, no, you don't want anything from the corporate world to, to sully yeah. this kind of world? I definitely don't want it to be corporate, but I've been clear with my team. And one of the things I loved about Moots is not only is it an amazing brand, I mean, this company's been in business for almost 40 years. You don't do that accidentally without understanding the fundamentals of a business. So I was blessed to inherit a team that respected the need to pay attention to cost, knows how critical sales is to continuing to have the opportunity to build bikes tomorrow. And so the foundations were there. Um, so I didn't have to really like dramatically change it. I mean, I think the two things that I've brought, um, you know, that really were missing is number one, voice of the customer. I was the customer. I was in the bike shop buying an expensive bike every single year. The minute I bought one, I was thinking about my next one. And so I've helped push the team, you know, to think like our customer. Our customers, I mean, our team, they think of that bike as a tool because they have access to these amazing bikes all the time. They build them. They don't worry if it's muddy or scratched. 
you know, our customers don't think like that. I mean, I personally geek out on making my bike look awesome. Um, and our customers do that as well. And so making the bikes even more beautiful than they already were, um, like with some of our anodized finish as an example, really pushing the team as to what our customers might want, I think has been something I've brought. Um, the second part would be just around strategy and just um, helping make sure that everybody uh, understands what we're trying to do to be successful. And, um, you know, and that's probably one of the mistakes I, I made. I thought coming in, It'd be really easy from a communication standpoint. I used to have, you know, 1.11,000 people report to me. You know, now I have one report to me, and then 23 effectively under Drew, who is our president. He's my only direct report. I let him run the day to day. So how hard could it be to communicate to 23 people? Well, it's just as hard as to 11,000. Um, you still have to speak to people in different ways. An email doesn't work. You have to do both email, in-face communication, um, you know, every, every point you have to interact with employees, you've got to remind them what's important, what we're focusing on, and why to continue to get the buy-in. So I thought that'd be a lot easier. The challenges are the same with a small company versus a large, but making sure we're all really aligned around the strategic objectives um, for Moots um, and, and just being focused on a business, that's probably the other big thing I've brought. So in the corporate world, there's that famous corporate ladder where you're always climbing and you're always striving. Yeah. And that's almost the raison d'etre of why you're in this world, because you're always striving. You're, a, you're an alpha male, you're an alpha female. You're always trying to, to go bigger and better and, and jump from one company to a bigger company and then a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. So you've kind of, you've jumped off that. I have. And how, is that something that is a relief that you've jumped off that? And would you recommend it to other people in your, your world to why don't you get out and... It's a great question. And um, there's no question I took a fundamentally different path because the natural path for me would have been to pursue a CEO job of a public company somewhere, um, something bigger, something with more pay, all those kinds of things, but it just wasn't what I was seeking. Um, I, I would describe myself as my most comfortable element was not in the boardroom. It just wasn't. I did that. I did a very good job, I believe, in that, that setting, but I always knew it was a means to an end. And an end to me was a life where I didn't have those kinds of pressures and I could do what I want to do. I mean, fundamentally, I wanted enough money to be able to ride my bike, hike, and spend time with my family. And you kind of reach a point where, what are you working for? And, um, you know, I read a book early in, in life called Enough by Will Davis Jr. And it really kind of helped set for me, you know, what's important. Um, you know, I've been around people who have tons of money, but they're not happy. What yields happiness? When I'm on a bike, I still get chill bumps. And um, how many more years do I realistically have to do that? I found myself wanting to do that more than I wanted to go pursue the dollar. Now, reaching that point and then making that leap are two different things because I basically, when I left my job, I'm like, I'm taking a year off, I'm not doing anything. I pulled my kids out of school, traveled the world, spent time with my family, but I did not have that desire to go back to that world. And um, so I kind of set for myself an entrepreneurial path um, because I want to be challenged both personally and professionally. So I want that kind of, you know, not, I, I don't necessarily consider myself one always chasing the ladder, 
it's not about that. It's about my own quest to feel satisfied. And um, so I'm like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to have flexibility. That's fundamentally the path I tried to set for myself. And um, when I chose that, that's when I started looking for businesses. Um, you know, I let those pressures subside. That's how I found Moots. You know, thinking outside the box, what would be a good fit? Um, I subsequently started a business with a partner in Arkansas in the cannabis space. And um, continuing that, um, you know, building um, what we've started in Arkansas outside of the state, even into Mexico, which I'm excited about. I serve on two boards, but I don't have a normal day job. And, um, but I would tell you that I'm as engaged both professionally and personally as I've ever been. And, um, you know, and still growing. And I think that's the main thing. Yet also, my passion for writing has never been greater. And I chalk a lot of that up to my team at Moots. I mean, I thought I was into cycling before, and I was. Um, but these guys are at another level. And, um, you know, I'm 48 now, and it's just pushed me at the right time in life. I found myself doing events I would have never considered before. And, um, you coming know, to things like this. Coming to things like this, which, you know, is neat, even as just a cycling fan. Dirty Kansas. I would have never signed up for that crazy event. Um, you know, my team talked me into it. You know, so it's fun. Keeps you young. So I'm going to be rude here, potentially rude here, <laughs> and ask you how much is Moots potentially a vanity thing? And how much of it, this is going to make money. This is, this is a business. This is not me just doing this because I like a bike company. Yeah. And I'm going to keep it going. And I'll subsidize it, in effect. So how, how, where does that fit in with your, your philosophy? Yeah, I mean, it's not a vanity thing. The, the, the bike I mean, industry doesn't make money is where the, I'm trying to go. I mean, the good thing <laughs> is Moots does make money. I mean, we've been profitable before I bought the business and since I bought the business. Um, but I don't think I came into this with unrealistic expectations. So what, what do I mean by that? If I'm growing the company 2 to 3% a year, I'm happy. What I want to be is relevant in the industry. And to me and my team, what that means is building the best bikes possible, having respect by others for the quality of what we build, and really don't screw it up. You know, being a fan of cycling, I've seen enough brands who have been screwed up, who have gone through bankruptcy because they didn't have the focus on the business, number one, and they didn't keep their eye on the ball. And so, um, you know, I own 100% of this business myself. I cut a personal check to buy it. And so it would hurt, no question, if it, you know, crapped out. And, um, and so the way I've kind of structured my acquisition is the business generates the cash to continue to fund that growth. So I'm not writing checks every year to kind of, you know, keep this thing going. We have to make the, you know, deliver the results that yield the cash to continue kind of the quest to be our best. And um, before you got involved with Moots and before you got involved in the bike industry, did you know that the bike industry was a cottage industry? Because I'm being rude here to the industry here. Yeah. You know, profits in the bike industry, you know, that's quite unusual almost. And certainly now we're in a, we're in a very much a down phase yeah. where it's much, much harder to make money. And then, you know, with the Cannondales, you know, being through multiple owners, which are maybe what you were kind of referring yep. to there. So corporate people come in, assume they can change the industry and, <laughs> and, and make money. And I know lots of other VCs have been in and have, yeah. have, 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 have failed, but we'll, we'll do this. And then, you know, they get burned, they're out for two years, and they think, why do we get involved in the bike industry? That is such <laughs> a freaky industry. So did you have any perception of that before you came in, and has, has it changed since? 
I did have a perception of that. Um, you know, um, I, I would say, and I studied the industry before I bought the business. Um, one of my dear friends, um, two of the gentlemen own a bike shop in my local hometown. I consulted with them before I bought this to understand their perspective as a shop on the challenges. Um, you know, I did my diligence, and I mean, I'm an accountant um, by training. Um, I had been involved in mergers and acquisitions a lot in my career, so I understand the fundamentals of business and how to buy a business successfully and how to run one. So I think all those skills helped, um, coupled with realistic expectations, and I think that's probably the fallacy many of these other people made, is trying to grow something 10, 20%. Yeah. They get in front of themselves by investing in the inventory, putting it on the shelf, and then like fools, discounting their product. And when you start discounting a product, you can't get it back. And um, to me, one of the great things, the way the, the company has historically been run at Moots and what we continue to do is we build bikes when customers order these bikes. And, and like a Ferrari, you know what the price is on a Ferrari and you just pay it, that's the way we are at Moots. I mean, we have a limited amount of production and, and our production capacity. Um, we're not giving it up. We're not discounting it. We don't build bikes and slap some other company or a person's name on it. We build a bike and it rolls out with the Moots name on it. And because of that limited number, we price them accordingly um, to pay for our wages and our, our team, which again, all hand-built in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and we don't want to lose that. And, um, you know, and I think that's a key part of what we're trying to do is not blow the doors off from a growth perspective. Slow and steady. So this event has got consumers coming. Correct. So, and this is absolutely where the industry is changing. And you haven't been in the industry for 30 years like me, then you have <laughs> seen this, this. This is quite a shocking transformation where you're talking to consumers and you haven't got that bike shop interface. Yes. And that bike shop interface is when you meet bike shop owners, you almost feel like, you know, sobbing with them because that's, that's manufacturers that kind of can hold their own. I can see that. Brands can hold their own, but bike shops are really in a very, very difficult space right now. So what is your uh, philosophy on, on distribution? Yeah. Getting to, to consumers, but via bike shops. Something we talk a lot about because there's, distribution is changing in a big way. There are a few brands here today that have cut the dealer out completely. Um, you know, and so you, you know those names. Um, you know, we talked a lot about it at Moots, but the reality is for a small company like ours, we don't have the marketing budget to compete with the canyons of the world. And so we need our dealers. So we are going to continue to rely on our dealers. The key becomes what's a dealer? And it needs to be the best bike shops in the world. That's how we define it. And, um, you know, it's shops who understand that experience you need to deliver to a customer at a local level. You know, people want to come hang out there, have a coffee, go ride with the crew. Um, you know, and then the second part that's important to us at Moots is that that shop needs to have invested in us. If they've made a trip to Steamboat, as an example, brought customers to ride, to see our team, understand the craftsmanship and the soul that's in each of those bikes, that's a Moots dealer. And we want to do all we can to support their growth because they help us spread the word as to what Moots is all about. You know, and what's really cool is once a dealer starts a relationship with us and gets those elements and they get a few customers on the bike, there's not a more effective salesperson than a Moots customer. 
they tell all their friends. And, and you rarely will find one single Moots customer without something strongly positive to say about their bike and the ride quality. And that's what drives results. So when we have a nexus of a good dealer, a few key customers, we see growth in those markets. And so supporting those is the key. And so then whenever you start getting um, in regions outside of those markets, to the extent we can partner with those really strong dealers to deliver an experience, we will do that. If we can sell them direct, a customer can come pick up a bike in, in Steamboat, you know, that's something in the future we're thinking about um, more and more. Um, so that's kind of how we're reacting to it. Um, but we're fortunate in the sense that if you look at some of the best bike shops across the country, there are Moots dealers. And um, so that's where we get a lot of our how success many, today. How many have you got? Um, I would say in the U.S., I mean, we've got over 100, right at about 100, but I would tell you about 30 of those are really key producers and those are the 30 we need to focus our, our resources and internationally uh, how are you doing internationally we've got a mix of both um, you know uh, dealers as well as distributors and um, 25 to 30 percent of our sales annually occur outside the US with South Korea surprisingly being mm -hmm. our largest market um, which is always exciting um, but in countries where language isn't in the barrier um, like the UK as an example um, a lot of shops directly even in Germany um, will work directly with some of those shops mm -hmm. what's your annual turnover um, we don't really disclose that I mean we build right at about a thousand bikes I mean you know right around five million bucks a year so a small company 25 employees um, all largely in steamboat springs and what are your plans what are your what are your goals? If you're talking about like one two percent growth per year, that's yeah. I mean, it's so a couple of things. I mean, the gravel for us continues to be a great spot. You know, if you look at our product lineup, I mean, our hardtail mountain bikes are phenomenal. We've got a softtail mountain bike. Our road lineup is fantastic, but the reality is road bike sales are suffering, um, and we've seen that too. Um, you know, and, and largely because our gravel lineup is so strong. Our mm -hmm. customers, if they're coming from the road category, they're all about our Route RSL. You know, that's a super fast, um, you know, kind of racy um, gravel bike. And we've got many customers who just throw on a separate set of road wheels and that is their bike. I mean, go-to for everything. Um, we introduced this year a Route YVB, which I'm super excited about because the YVB kind of rear end dampening suspension is something that's been a part of Hallmark of Moots for over 20 years in our mountain bike lineup. So we've got an improved version just for gravel with less um, travel, um, just simply so you don't have the road bob. And that's been a really popular bike for us as well. And so, um, you know, I would say continued focus on the gravel space for us is very important. And then, um, you know, just continuing to improve the mountain bike lineup. I mean, we all love the mountain bike and our Mountaineers, the latest iteration of just a long history of high quality um, mountain bikes. That's it for today's show. Uh, this has been the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast with me, Carlton Reed. And show notes and more can be found at or on even at the-spokesmen.com. Uh, I will do a longer show recorded from uh, Impact Media Summit in Ketchum, Idaho in the next day or two. Meanwhile, get out there and ride.